0: Launching something new can be absolutely terrifying. And then the big question comes, what do I do on social media, especially if I don't like it? In this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. I have the amazing Becky Mullenkamp on the show, and we're going to strategize together on how she's launching something new. Let's dive into it.
1: Welcome to the Savvy Social Podcast, the show that blends stories and strategies to help businesses create engaged and profitable online communities using the unique power of social media. And now your host, Andrea Jones. Becky, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this. you have no idea.
0: I am very excited as well, because I just love geeking out about social media and chatting about it together. And obviously, I think you're brilliant as well. Um, so I want to cover all of the things. But let's start a little bit with what you do and your sentiment about social media. Um, I know that you have had this overwhelming feeling about social media and you, you quit Facebook entirely. So let's talk a
1: little bit about what brought you to today. Sure. Well, I'm an accountability coach and I work with, uh, mostly women business owners who are in growth mode and are looking for help in that transition from solopreneur or maybe themselves and a few people and really going into that next level of their business. And my experience with social media, I'm, I'm an old person. And so I've been on social media for a long time. And I believe I started on LinkedIn. I don't really call that social media personally because it feels more like it's, it's less social <laughs> and more about just, uh, business. But I started there, and then Twitter is what changed everything for me. And I loved Twitter in the old days, in the, like 09, 08, 09, 2010 days. In fact, I met my best friends through Twitter. I met all sorts of people through Twitter, and I loved it until I didn't. I obviously was on Facebook. Um, it's fine. I liked it a little bit in the beginning. I- I'm with my husband because we reconnected on Facebook, so I am happy about having been there. But it really got... Um stressful for me because of all the politics and everything else happening. So by 2016, I was like, I need to leave this space. And Instagram, I'm on, it's okay. And I'm on all the places now to TikTok and threads and everything. Uh What do I like? Probably the thing I like the most was old school Twitter, which I am pretty happy about threads, very much resembling that. But what overwhelms me with social media is that it is so many places. It feels like I'm supposed to be in all the places. And every time I think about leaving one of the places, I feel like, oh, I can't. Even though I did manage to get myself off of Facebook. So that was huge. Um, but I still have all the others. And it just feels like I don't know what to create. I feel like everything I do isn't cool. There's me being vulnerable. But like I just feel like... Whatever I'm doing isn't like, I'm not funny. I'm not naturally witty. Like I can be kind of humorous, I guess, but I'm not a freaking comedian. I feel like you have to like be a comedian to be successful on TikTok and Twitter, or you have to have some gorgeous life to be successful on Instagram. And like, I just feel like I don't have any of it. And so when I go on, I feel like, what's the point? I can't measure up here and I'm not going to stand out. That's the big thing is like, how do I even stand out if I don't have some cool thing like that? And so then I just feel like not doing much of any of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think we all feel those feelings at some point or all the time. Um, especially the, the, the funny piece, like people are like, show up, be yourself. And my thought is always, what if myself isn't that interesting? You know, and I think that that is a hurdle to climb. I'm curious though about the content that you consume. Um, are there people? On social media, who you follow, who, you, who aren't funny or traditionally interesting, attractive, et cetera. Like, are, can, does, does, um, a, a type of person come to mind?
1: Well, yeah. And so this is good because you're going to throw it back in my face because yes, the truth is most of who I follow, especially on TikTok, but in other places as well, the content I'm consuming is like, nerdy girl content, like for people who like me, like are creating something around feminism and who are talking about big important issues. If you know Clifton strengths, my top strengths include in election and communication. I'm somebody who likes to think about big important ideas and I like to talk about big ideas. And so a lot of the people I consume are like talking about that kind of stuff. But for some reason it feels like it doesn't work for business. And I know this is a story I'm telling myself, But I have a hard time. And then I think the other piece that'll come up is my own sort of concerns around, you know, it's the thing that I help people with all the time. But here I am with it myself, which is who am I to talk about these things? I don't have, you know, a PhD in gender studies or whatever the things are where I think what's what's my little piece of this world and how do I show up in a way that feels authentic, but also doesn't seem like I'm talking about things that I shouldn't really be dipping my toes into.
0: Mm, yeah, I'm nodding my head because i I think you've really nailed this. Like, who am I feeling? Which is the actual barrier? It sounds like it doesn't sound like, based on what you've described, it doesn't sound like the technology is the barrier. It doesn't sound like your knowledge is the barrier. It doesn't even sound like the types of content you consume could potentially be a barrier. It's really getting to the place where you feel confident enough to be exposed on the internet. Right. I mean,
1: I'm super honest on the internet anyway. So like I've shared all sorts of things about my life and everything. And yet there's something around the piece of, and this is so much of this is like conditioning the stuff that I help other people with. So of course here I am showing up vulnerably saying like, I still have to work myself on the stuff that I help other people with. But I know a lot of this is conditioning around like, expertise and what it means to be an expert voice. And if I don't have the degrees in my head, there's this story of like, I don't have these degrees. So I can't speak to these issues. Or even if I can, I think the other piece of that that's related is, I can't do it better than the other people who are already doing it. Right. Like there's already Mm -hmm. people, the people I'm consuming are already talking about the things that I care about in ways that I find even more interesting than I feel like I could talk about them. So it's sort of, that's that other piece of like, who am I when there's other people doing it better. Even if I do feel like I can carve out my areas of what I talk about, I feel like, Oh, there's other people who seem to be doing it so well that like, what's why me?
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that you are very vulnerable. Like I'm a subscriber to your newsletter. You talk a lot about issues, concepts, those big picture things that, you know, and you share it through your personal experience, the lens of who you are. Um, so there seems to be a barrier with the social side, um, because you also created this podcast, which is a creation, a reflection of the conversations that you like to have. So, Talk to me about what inspired this show specifically, and what are you hoping to, um, the result of the show to be? Like, what are you hoping people to feel after listening to the
1: show? So, the show's Feminist Founders podcast. It's, um, my baby. I'm so excited about this. It's born out of my own sort of discovery or, you know, process over the last, I mean, it's been a decade of me unlearning all of the, you know, white supremacist, Pa- uh, patriarchal capitalist conditioning that we all get and going on my own journey of that unlearning and then relearning and having really amazing discussions inside of a book club that I had that I started, um, with a few friends where we'd read feminist books and talked about these things. And I just wanted more of these conversations. So like the impetus was really selfish. I just wanted to have more conversations with people who are doing cool things and talking about these things and who care as much as I do. And my background's journalism. So that part comes naturally. Interviewing it feeds into coaching. Well, I love asking questions. I love learning from people. And so a podcast made a lot of sense. I had another podcast before that was just me and it started with interviews as well. So I felt comfortable with it. So like there, there wasn't a lot of strategy behind it. However, the more I'm doing, it, the more I'm realizing that in addition to wanting to uplift these other voices, the thing I'm most excited about is for people who are like me, who are trying to do business differently, who imagine a world where business can be part of the change for better. What does that look like? How do we step outside of all of the things we've been taught about how business has to run this sort of greed model and feel less alone? Because when you're trying to do that, it can feel like, Everything I'm trying to do is against what all of those bro marketer guys are telling me is right. All the experts are saying the way I have to do it. And if you don't have support system that's saying, no, it is possible, it can feel really isolating. So I'm hoping that people that are coming to this podcast are people who are trying to do business differently and who get excited in seeing that like it is possible. And so that's for me what I hope, like that would be success. If I hear even a few people like send me messages and say, oh my gosh, I feel less alone now, or I feel so seen, or this feels really inspiring, then I will feel like it was successful.
0: Yes. Okay. Those of you listening, I want you to listen to the energy in Becky's voice as she's describing that podcast. It's contagious, right? It's like, now I want to go listen to it because. I can tell that you're passionate about the work that you do. And that energy is what I want to bottle up and put on social media because the, I wrote down the word feeling less alone, feeling isolated. Even if there are people talking about the topics that you're talking about, the more people that talk about them, the better because it removes that feeling of feeling alone and isolated. Right. So I think that energy is something that I want to bring to social media. So let's talk about your social strategy. And I want to start with, you know, obviously we want to do this podcast, but you mentioned in the green room before the show that you had this little decision moment between should I create separate social media accounts for the podcast or should it be under my personal brand? What was the initial thought behind creating separate accounts for the Feminist Founders
1: podcast? If I get really deeply honest and vulnerable, more than likely it was because I felt like, who am I? No one knows me. And they're not going to find it through that. They're not like, I'm, I'm not a name that they're going to recognize, right? I'm not like some big name that they're going to go search for. So if they're interested in the podcast, they're going to look for that. And so my thought was for like searchability, which was also still probably tied into some confidence issues, but primarily I was thinking around searchability so that if somebody's looking for that podcast, it's going to be easy for them to find and follow. Um, the reason that I decided not to do it was because thankfully I have friends in the business space who are like, you already say you don't like being on social media that much. And now you're doubling your social media load. What are you doing? And I was like, you're right. So I'm not, the reason I didn't do it was strictly from a overwhelm standpoint, but I still have this internal doubts around like, should it be under my name or should it be under the podcast name? Because it's, It is. Although, I mean, technically, I guess it's called Feminist Founders with host Becky Mollenkamp. It still feels like, I don't know. And and there's also probably some outshining stuff that's happening. If you've ever read The Big Leap, which is one of my fundamental fears is this outshining thing. And it does probably feel a little bit like putting myself out there. And I don't want it to be just about me. It's about the podcast and it's about the people I'm featuring. Although, I mean, ultimately, it would sure be nice if it helps my business, but that isn't the motivating factor that brought me into it. Mm,
0: Okay. So I agree with your business friends. I think anyone, especially if you're feeling overwhelmed by social media, creating secondary tertiary accounts for, for the various brands and projects that you run will only increase that overwhelming feeling. And especially now in 2023, managing just one brand on social media is pretty much a full-time job, right? So as you mentioned, you have Instagram, we have TikTok, we have Threads, we have YouTube, we have Twitter, LinkedIn, not even talking about Facebook, which you don't, you're not on there anymore. So it can, it can be a lot. And so then duplicating that process for the podcast can be challenging. Now you did mention you already claimed the names, correct?
1: Yeah, I have them on all the places. Good.
0: So my recommendation
1: is to um, use
0: those as landing pages that point back to your personal brand. Um, So I have this for the Savvy Social Podcast. If someone goes to Instagram, type Savvy Social Podcast, you will find the account. It just has a picture of the cover art. I did a nine grid. like I split it into nine. And that's my 9Grid. It is a landing page. So if people happen to hear the podcast, not me, they go to Savvy Social Podcast, it still gets tagged all the time. People will tag it in their stories and things like that. It's there, but it's inactive. It's very clear in the description that it's inactive. Like, we don't update this account. Go follow the online Drea accounts to get all of the updates. Um, but it holds it there for you in case as things grow, you do get resources where you can manage that page separately. Let's say, the show like blossoms into something amazing and, and popular and you have hundreds of thousands of listeners every month and you have a production assistant who's also posting now to that channel for you, you have it there. And also if a competitor comes along and tries to, to steal your idea, they can't steal that handle as well and, and um, do that. So how does that feel? Does that feel good?
1: Yeah, that feels great. Also, I love that vision that you're holding for what's possible. So I'm going to let that wash over me. I'm going to go check out, obviously, what you're talking about on your Insta to be able to see that model and probably just steal it.
0: Yes, steal away. And I will say, for those of you listening, I do have a template for this. It's $9. You can get it at com slash grid. I'll put the link to that and to the Sappy Social Podcast Instagram in the um, show notes as well. So y'all can take a look. Um, All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the entire launch plan for Feminist Founders Podcast. We'll be back soon. I'm so excited to officially invite you to my very first in-person retreat happening in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, Canada, November 3rd through 5th. So this retreat was designed for established business owners who really need to get away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. You're tired of sitting on Zoom for yet another meeting with your kid crying and hollering in the background, and you're ready to work on the big picture topics like we talk about in this podcast episode. You know, these topics are so important and sometimes we do not carve out enough space to make important decisions in our business. And if that's you, this retreat is designed to help support you. So come join me November 3rd through 5th in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, Canada, this hallmark, picturesque town is perfect for hosting this retreat. It is all-inclusive. Your room is included. All your food is included. We are going to have some amazing conversations, some facilitators, and it's just one of those places where you got to be in the room. So check it out at SavvySocialRetreat.com. I'll see you there. And we're back. So now that we have solidified, the Becky Mollenkamp brand is going to be the home for sharing the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about launching the show. So what date is the first episode coming out?
1: The official launch is September 13th, though the way podcasting works, I'm going to be submitting things early. So hopefully there will be the trailer and maybe the first couple episodes out I'm hoping maybe even by like a week ahead of time. Um, but the official launch is September 13th. Okay.
0: And have you thought at all about how you're going to celebrate this launch in your marketing?
1: So I'll tell you the things I've thought of. And you can tell it, I've thought again, which will be representative of probably everything I've said a lot about the external, but not so much me, (laughs) like how I'm I'm enlisting others. So I've been thinking through like having a street team or whatever, asking people to support the launch by mail, emailing their lists or sharing on their social media. And I'm creating resources to give to them for that. And I'm also thinking about having a live launch party, maybe the week before podcast launches um, where I'm going to invite people into a zoom room to celebrate all the guests that are coming, anyone who will come to be there. And because of the type of audience I'm working with, I think what will be fun is to do that as a networking event. So the first part will be celebrating the launch, but so that it doesn't feel just so like, just come and listen to me talk about my new thing make it something that benefits the people that are there as well. So the first part's me talking about the podcast and the second half is the networking piece. So I feel good about those components. The part where I'm feeling the most stressed is what do I do on my own social media (laughs) and with my own you know, messaging around this beyond just like throwing up a static, I don't know, just like a picture of the logo art or the first guest or something. I don't know, I'm trying to think, especially for the things like, The Instagram posts, okay, that seems simple enough. I can just throw up some pictures. But when I think about things like reels, if I was going to do that, although I rarely do, or um, Instagram stories or TikTok especially. And then now with like threads showing up and what that might look like where still people aren't wanting to be too promotey, but hopefully by then they will be. And then... LinkedIn's also kind of like, I'm not sh- that's probably where my ideal audience is, but it feels like a weird thing to promote there for some reason. So asking others to help, I've got down, having a party to celebrate. I got down. What the hell I'm going to do? Not so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Follow up
0: questions. Um, Do you have a plan already in place for your newsletter around that time? Like, how are you inviting people to participate in this uh, launch party, for example?
1: Well, because Zoom, I don't have pay for webinar Zoom, so I can only have a hundred people, which if a hundred people come, I will be over the moon ecstatic, but I'm going to think big and think that everyone I invite will want to be there because it's going to be this amazing networking event too. And I'm going to, so I'm going to be. Intentional about who I invite. I don't think I will send it to my home email list unless it becomes clear to me. I won't have enough people because I've already identified about 150 people in my network that I want to invite and have it be an event that feels really purposeful and meaningful for them versus like, let me just throw it out to everyone and whoever comes comes and they may or may not be a good fit for the networking angle I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but I am thinking strategically Strategically, because these are all people that would also hopefully have some amount of audience at the and, the and having them there would get them more excited about sharing the podcast as it launches. The email list, I mean, I'm obviously going to send emails about the podcast and I want to make sure some of that includes asking them to rate and review. I would like to think of a way, like people have suggested doing prizes or something to incentivize more of that. I also, though, need to be mindful about my capacity and how much that adds to my plate on trying to manage getting, I don't know what, screenshots to prove they've done it or just like, I don't know how all of that would work. So I haven't really thought that part through.
0: Yes. Okay. So I'm going to come back to the giveaways angle in a second, but do you often reflect what you say in your newsletter in your social posts or do you consider them to be completely separate?
1: I'm not very good at that. I know repurposing is really smart. (laughs) And then I get in that little story about like, oh, people are going to already have heard this, even though I know that's not entirely true, because a lot of people are not in both the places or all the places. And also, I'm, I never, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I have some block around like, sharing all of that of like, how I don't know, my brain gets into this, like, but what do I do with it? Like, how do I turn it into something? What should it be? Should it be like a story? Should it be a me talking? Should it be a graphic? I don't know. Again, it's probably I don't know. I for whatever reason I haven't fully been able to figure out. I get very in my head about all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think your skill set is stronger in writing or speaking?
1: Well, jur- my background is journalism, certainly writing is because even when I'm going to do is speaking generally, unless it's really off the cuff like this, and I don't mind this kind of thing at all, but anything where I feel like I'm going to be, the attention will be on me and I feel like I should be prepared, I write it all first and then read it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So my suggestion is going to start first with your natural way that you like to share your thoughts with the world, which is written words. And I would suggest having your newsletter be kind of your core content piece. I know that this is about social media, but I think there's something magical that happens when you're writing to your closest network, which is your newsletter, and there's um like a mental barrier is lifted when you're like, this is just for the newsletter, right? Because I'm on your newsletter and I see the the content that you produce. Um, and then we're going to think about how to repurpose that on social, which I'll get to in a second. But I want to first know if that feels good for you. Because some people approach their newsletter as exclusive content, and they don't want to share it on social. And some people, like I, when I write my newsletter, I know that's going to be social media content later. I just don't think about that later because it serves its purpose as newsletter first.
1: Does that feel comfortable for you? I don't know if you want to go down this avenue, if I'm going to throw a whole big wrinkle in for you, which is that I have grown contemptuous. I've had contempt growing for my email list, which is a whole other bag of worms because I feel like I create content, and create content, and create content that people, re- my open rates are 50%. That's really good. <laughs> you know, half of the people on my email list are opening my emails and yet they don't buy from me. And that has developed some contempt that I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel that way. And so I've actually been thinking about moving to Substack in advance of this release because that way what I feel like it's going to do for me is allow me to say, all right, I will continue to create free content but I'm going to really drastically reduce how much of that I'm giving away for free. And those people who are willing to pay me a cup of coffee, like five bucks a month, which is nothing, then I will pour, I will gladly pour into you. But I'm getting really like, I'm growing weary of pouring. And I think maybe this is part of social media too, growing weary of pouring into people for free to feel them consuming, consuming. And then when I say, Hey, will you buy this thing from me? Even when it's something really inexpensive or even when it's not, it's like, no, And I don't want to feel that way. And so I've been thinking about moving to Substack. So I don't know if that creates a huge wrinkle or if you want to even go down this avenue. (laughs) But that's where I'm at right now. And I'm thinking about doing that next month. I've been working on content for that.
0: Yes. Okay. So I do consider Substack to have a lot of social elements to it. There is a, there's likes, there's comments, there's sharing. I know it's long form content and a lot of it is gated, but it to me is a lot like a social network. So I'm actually working on a podcast episode around the like social media 2.0, which is more private conversations at scale, more exclusive pockets of conversation, not necessarily everyone on the same platform at the same time. So I find it interesting that you're going that angle and it definitely makes sense. So then the conversation becomes what is free? So Substack does oftentimes have a free version of your work and then a paid version. And I pay for several folks, Substack newsletter content things because sometimes they're podcasts. (laughs) Um. So that's the first conversation is once you decide what's free and what's not, I would take anything that's in that free, open to the public version of Substack and turn it into a carousel post on Instagram and turn it into a long form post on LinkedIn and turn it into a series of threads or tweets on Twitter. And it's the exact same thing, just elsewhere. And then the, the call to action is for more, sign up for my Substack. Okay, so this is kind of like a pre-launch period. If you're thinking about doing this next month, um, that's kind of like teasing out, leading to Substack, which we'll you'll obviously talk about the podcast there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm planning on doing once, once a month, you now get a message from me for free on Substack instead of what I've been trying to do, which is at least once a week and burning myself out. So then the people who want to pay get to have hear from me every week and they're going to get behind the scenes stuff. You know, they get all that extra stuff. Plus you're right. There's community within it so they can talk to each other and. I will be sharing more stuff about the podcast and all of that. But so there'll be free content once a month that is going to be very long form, as you mentioned. So hopefully that would be enough to be able to really pull from for the whole month on social media.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't need as much content on social media. Like I know a lot of experts out there say, you know, post every day, post multiple times a day. But if you don't have a team, I think that's impossible. Like I'm really planting my flag on that, on that ground. It's really challenging if social media is not your job to post every single day. I think that weekly, maybe even twice a week is more than enough for your average business owner. Um, and so that's what I would recommend for you. So if we're posting monthly on Substack super long form content, I would take that exact thing and post it on social media. Now you do also have a beautiful backlog of free content that we're going to start pulling from as well. So for example, um, leading into August, Q3, summer's ending, the thoughts that you're your people are having are going to start shifting into thinking about Q4, thinking about end of year, thinking about sales. And so it's probably, you probably have in your decade plus experience of this, you probably have resources where you talk about this time of year. So we're going to go back through those and repurpose those as carousel posts, written carousel posts, um, long form and LinkedIn posts, Twitter threads, thread threads. <laughs> we're going to repurpose those as content as well. So you really maybe are tweaking a few things, but we're not recreating the wheel. And this, again, is probably leading into the launch, not necessarily talking about the podcast just yet, but keeping your social, like starting to reactivate it a little bit. Um, do you think that's possible?
1: I definitely think it's possible. Yeah, <laughs> the repurposing old content is extra possible. (laughs) Like that feels super easy. I just need to think through what that is. But I think part of what also gets me a little hung up sometimes is I start to feel like I have to be super strategic. And then if I don't have some super strategic plan, then that like, I just don't take action. Like if it, if it's not this leading to that, leading to that instead of it feeling kind of random, but I suppose random and useful is still better than nothing. (laughs)
0: Well, yeah. And think about the amazing connections that you've made so far on social media. From what I've heard, they've all been random. You randomly reconnected with your husband on Facebook. You randomly bumped into your best friends on Twitter. I think random actually works better sometimes than the strategically, we got to post this and this and this and this. You know what I mean? I'm loving all the permission. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And so I want to talk a little bit about the launch now as well. So as we head into the launch itself, I think this, this loose strategy of reflecting what's happening in your business on social media is going to be key. So there's lots of post ideas that I've written down that I'm just going to fire away at you from just based on this conversation. You've talked about moving to Substack there are several conversations you can have on social media about the decision to move to Substack. Because your audience is business owners, we love a BTS behind the scenes moment. Why did you move to Substack? What inspired you? What was the process like? How are you liking it? Even the tech of the interface of Substack. There's so many ways that you can start and have conversations about those things. And this is where the casual placements will happen. So your feed main posts will be reflections of your newsletter, but Reels, stories, and even LinkedIn, additional LinkedIn posts will be reflections on the behind the scenes of what's happening. I think that this lends to the more casual nature of those placements, um, especially TikTok um, doesn't necessarily need like a setup, like just holding your phone, you can be sitting anywhere um, or even having on the tripod and just talking like you're talking to a friend is really what's resonating right now. Um, And it doesn't need a strict um posting cadence. So I know a lot of people say this, but in the studying that I've been doing, even the people who say this are not following what they're saying. They'll say post five to six times a day on TikTok and they'll do that for a week and then they won't post for a month <laughs> because it's, it's challenging to post that much. So I think posting when you feel inspired actually lends itself to something. Um, and then repurposing that. So I use a tool called repurpose.io that anytime I post on TikTok, it'll auto post to Instagram reel, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook Reel, like wherever you want it to go. So I film, record, edit in TikTok and then it'll just disseminate it everywhere. I think that's a really easy way to repurpose that content. Um and it doesn't necessarily need to be so strict as, you know, sign up for Substack, go listen to the podcast. This is really that conversation piece that you so love. It's starting those conversations, initiating curiosity and letting curiosity lead those people to
1: your subsect, to your podcast. How does that feel? I love that. I like the behind the scenes part because I I know that stuff is great. I think my journalism background sometimes gets in my way because with journalism background, I feel this need to have like to tell a story from start to finish and that I need to I did a lot of service kind of journalism, which is like helping people figure something out, right? And so I always feel like whatever I'm doing needs to be really um in service of something. Like I need to, by the end of it, I need to have summed it up with a little bow and given them a lesson. And I need more permission to say I don't have to do that because that really limits me because everything feels like it has to be so thoroughly researched and so perfectly framed. And then like they have to walk away from it feeling like they've gotten something from it and all of this, you know, that... Is, is, I think limiting me. So it's nice to think just like, I could just go on and just say, here's why I'm thinking about moving to Substack, And like, like, it could just be that it doesn't have to be. And now here's how you do it. Or I don't know, some bigger business lesson.
0: Yes. Yes. My,
1: <laughs>
0: um, one of my recent videos that did really well was literally me saying, I get ready every day in like three minutes. It's a hot mess of panic. And I'm, always, almost always late to my first meeting because of it. <laughs> and then I just turn up my Zoom filter so that it blurs out anything anything that looks... Um, and it's just like the relatableness of this isn't leading to anywhere anything. I'm not selling anything. I'm just being a human on the internet. I think oftentimes that's where connection points start. And then people dive deeper into your world and get to know you more on your sub stack and in your repurposed content from there. Okay. So launching the podcast specifically, I think you have this invite-only Zoom party that could be really interesting to reflect some of the connections, conversations, and feedback that happens there specifically. um, I like the exclusivity of it. And I think it really encourages people to um, want to be more in your world. So I would talk about it after the fact. So the week between the invite and the actual launch date. Talk more about some of the conversations that you had there. And I think the what I'm hearing from you is your assumption about social media content. I, I want your content to be more of a reflection of what you're already doing in your other marketing areas. I don't think you need to create new content specifically
1: for social. Okay. That feels like... Uh challenging. <laughs> I feel like I'm supposed to be creating something new. Uh, but I like the idea of not having to. So that feels good.
0: Yeah. I think if you feel inspired to create something new, obviously we can create new things and there's ways to tie in like trending content or conversations that are happening on social into what you're doing. But I think this idea of every single post, every single thing on social media has to be new could be what's stopping you from creating on social.
1: Yeah. I think that's part of it. I agree. Cause it does feel like it's just a lot. So I think that is probably part of what's keeping me from it.
0: Yes. Um, so, The, the, the activity around the launch is going to be heavier than actually, you know, sharing the new episodes every week or every, how are they weekly? How often are they
1: releasing? I'm doing them seasons, but it'll be weekly within the season. And then there'll be breaks in between the seasons. It'll be two seasons a year.
0: Okay. So weekly during the season, to me, that is, um, it's an easier reflection of what's happening in the show. Um, so leading up to the show is asking people to subscribe exactly how you would in your newsletter. And honestly, you're, you're already doing this, reaching out to personal connections. I think reflecting that on social media is an easy way to do that as well, just as you would talking to a friend. I don't know if it has to be as polished and, and buttoned up as you kind of uh, alluded to. Um, and I don't necessarily think it has to be new content. Now you mentioned as well, posting, you know, just the episode artwork and asking people to subscribe. I do think being that blunt and clear is a good strategy. Here's the show. Here's where you go subscribe. But also talking about the conversations you have in the show. So um, there's a huge conversation right now about you know audiograms, pulling clips, audio clips from the show. Does this work? Does it not? I used to be a huge fan of all of the technology behind that, but I find that the amount of effort that it goes into creating an audiogram or similar isn't. It doesn't necessarily have the return on the time investment that we put into creating it. So when you talk about the show, however you talk about it elsewhere, I think is also how it goes on social media. So, for example, um, I write a little blurb in my newsletter about the podcast. That's the same thing that goes on social media. Okay, So it's, I'm working once to put it two ways. Um another thing that one of my clients does is she is a talker, she loves talking. So when new episodes comes out, she takes her phone, records and says, "Okay, this is what's happening this week on the show. Go listen to the podcast." Right? Okay? So you can you can still frame it in a certain way like um are you thinking about this? Are you wondering about this? Well, today on the podcast, this is what we talked about. Here's how you go listen it to it. Um, Do any of those styles resonate with how you want to share the episode, the specific episodes as they're being released?
1: I actually started creating because Canva now with the way they allow you to put video in and create video stuff, it actually makes it really not so hard to do little clips from the show. So I've started making little clips from the show. I'm pulling out two or three from each episode that are just interesting little tidbits that I find interesting anyway, um, of the guests talking about something and I'm going to share those. So I started that process. Um, but I like the idea of me doing some maybe far more informal reflecting each week. Well, I have to think, maybe I just need to record that stuff now to do later because as I'm editing it, I'm listening to it, but they're going to be, I'm editing in advance. So they'll be coming out some of the months after I've had the conversation and edited. So maybe I just need to make those, like do those reflections now, just take some video of myself as I'm editing and be like, here's what I got from this conversation or here's some cool things that came out of this. And then I'll have that ready hmm Yes.
0: Love it. And are the canvas, um, that you're editing, are they
1: Instagram reel size? Well, I was doing them for Instagram stories. Is that the same as reels? I don't even know. Yes. Okay. Then yes. So should I do them as stories? Should I do them as reels and then share them to my stories? Yes. Okay. So
0: here's the thing about reels, TikTok, um, those placements is that they're discoverable placements. So while I love stories, it is definitely more intimate and people have to already find, you know, you to consume the stories, posting an interesting clip from the show into a reel increases the chances of someone discovering it. So finding it for the first time, um, when testing this with our clients, we have found to have some sort of movement, moving background around it. They have these stock videos have worked really well as, as well as pairing it with um, like one of the sounds that Instagram recommends um, and like just turning the volume down so that your clip still has prominence um, audio wise has worked really well. Um, And then it's the value of the content at that point that works well. So if it's an easy lift for you, I'm excited to actually see the end product put put
1: together. And I'm recording video because I'm going to be putting the podcast on YouTube as well. I'm testing with that because I've never done it, but they say to do that. And so I have video clips that I'm putting into that would be going. So it'd be like it'll be the person speaking and me nodding my head mostly. But so it. I hope that counts for the video, right? Like if it's the people speaking. Okay, good. Yes,
0: that works really well, um, especially on platforms like TikTok. If you're having these conversations and your TikTok feed is already telling you that these conversations are interesting, the discoverability aspect is astronomical for especially this style of work and the people that you're talking to. I think it's really going to resonate. Good, because I hadn't even thought about putting those on TikTok, so I will. (laughs) Yes. Put them on TikTok. Put them anywhere you can place vertical video. YouTube shorts, TikTok, um, and reels. And I truly believe you don't need more than that at this stage. As the show grows, you can obviously you know create custom content pieces. But the fact that you're recording this as a video, you're already pulling out clips as you edit the episodes. You will have your um, monthly sub stack. You will have your private, you know, paid sub stack. This is a lot of content you're already creating. I think it's a great, great, great starting place. The key is to help people find it. And that's where the discoverability placements will go. And then you can always share those to stories, maybe elaborate more in stories if you'd like to. Um, but really you're, you're, you've already, you've got it. You're off to a great start.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I hadn't even thought about YouTube shorts but my son watches them all the time. He's a little young for my audience, but clearly people are watching them. So it's something to think about. So thank you. This is great. I mean, I feel like there's permission inside of this to do less, which is really important to me and to repurpose and to just let things, here's my favorite thing. Cause I like to ask people all the time in my coaching, how can this be easy? And I feel like that's ultimately what you're trying to help me with. And that's what I need. So thank you.
0: Yes. I'm writing this down. How can this be easy? Um, Becky, this was such an amazing conversation. I hope you got a lot out from it. And I hope listeners got things from it as well. For those listening, they want to listen to the podcast, where do they find it?
1: Well, September 13th, but hopefully a little before it will be available everywhere. You listen to podcasts if I've done my job, right? Feminist Founders. You can also go to feministfounderspodcast.com to find all the episode information.
0: Yes. I will put that in the show notes, y'all. OnlineDrea.com slash 269. You can also follow Becky on socials and admire her beautiful clips from the podcast and go show them some
1: love as well. Yeah. now you can see if I've done what she told me to do or not. So now now I feel the pressure because you're going to be checking on me, which is good. I need that. I'm an obliger. So this is great. I need the pressure. So go look and see if I did what I said I would.
0: Yes, everyone go look, go look and and see what Becky's doing to launch the podcast. Becky, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. This was really helpful for me, hopefully for everyone.
0: Hey, awesome, awesome. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to another episode. Make sure you go rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify keeps us in the top 100 marketing podcasts. And I'll be back with another episode very soon. Bye for now.